going to read a call to worship to you guys from Psalms chapter 73. It says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Oh 
thank you for your great love for us as we are reminded this morning of just how seen and loved and cherished we are by you. God, I just thank you for the ways in which you see each and every one of us this morning. And God, I just pray that we would be able to know that you are present in this place and that you are drawing near to each and every one of us this morning. God, we praise you. We praise you for the wonderful things that you are doing in our lives. God, we praise you for the answered prayers that we have been praying for weeks for some of those among us who have been sick. And God, we just thank you that you hear us We know that when we call out to you, you hear us, you are there, you listen. 
We just thank you, God, for your healing touch that we've seen demonstrated time and time again in the lives of those around us. God, we know that there are still many, there are several that are still waiting. They're waiting, God. And Lord, we, we think of them this morning and we wait alongside them. And God, we pray that you would draw near to them this morning. Those who are still waiting, whether it's waiting for a healing touch, waiting for you to just speak into something in their life that they are, are just looking for direction on. Those who are just waiting, God, for you to meet that relational need. Those who are waiting on their loved one to come to a relationship with you, to know you. God, these are heavy burdens. And we wait for you. And we know that your word reminds us that those who wait on the Lord, they will be filled they will be renewed. Their strength will be renewed. And God, many of us just need that this morning. Many here just need that strength to be renewed, to keep going, to keep showing up, to keep waiting. But God, we thank you for the gift of community. We thank you for the gift of relationship, the gift of one another that we have in the hard, long, dark moments of waiting. And God, this morning we declare as the people of God, God, we know that you are not finished yet, that good things are coming, that you are still doing a new thing. You're doing a new thing in us. And you're doing a new thing among us. So God, give us the eyes to see once again what it is that you're doing. God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts this morning. Help us, Lord, to approach your word with openness. Help us, God, to approach your holy, sacred teaching this morning, your word, help us, God, to approach it with humility. Speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just wait for you this morning to open up our hearts. Breathe new life into this word. And God, we will be attentive to you. We will be open to you. Mold us and make us this morning. God, help us to look more like you. God, we love you this morning, and we just thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you and praise you, God, for your faithfulness. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.
Amen. You may be seated. We are um, on week seven of this series, Organic Disciples. And it won't take you long to realize, well, there it is right there. You already know. (laughs) You already see the title and know um, just how near and dear this message is to my heart. And it turns out that as I was preparing this week, the burden did not get any lighter. It only got heavier. As I think about this word for us this morning. And and I'll just kind of give you a disclaimer at, at front, at the front. I, my fear is that because I talk about community so much, you know, it's kind of like as a parent when you say the same thing to your kids so much and you, you repeat yourself so often that you're afraid that it's going to lose its meaning and that it's just going to fall on deaf ears. I'm sort of afraid of that this morning and I don't want you to hear this and, and just assume that I'm just going to say the same thing I've always said. You will probably hear things I've said before. But I just really want you to try to hear this in a new way this morning. Approach this with fresh ears, fresh eyes, open hearts, and just be open to the word of the Lord this morning. Can can you do that? I can't see your faces, so I'm just going to assume that you're all nodding along. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Friends, do you know what it means to be made in God's image? Do you know when you open up your Bible and you look at Genesis chapter 1, do you know, are you aware of just what it means to be made in God's image? Because I'm sure you can think of a lot of things that come to mind when you hear that you're made in God's image. There are a lot of of good and holy implications when, when, when we think about being made in God's image. But did you know? Or or do you need to be reminded this morning that being made in God's image means that by nature, by design, we were created to be relational. We were created to be and live in community. That from the very moment you and I were created, from the very moment that God made man from the beginning We were created for relationship. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We read from Genesis chapter 1. Let me just refresh your memory. I know. You know this. You are all familiar with this. I know. But let's just read it again. Approach it in a new way this morning. The author says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Scholars have a lot to say about the language that's used here, the the plural language of let us or our likeness. And they're not all necessarily unanimous on, you know, yes, God is definitely speaking in in Trinitarian language here, that this is 100% speaking of the Trinity. But there is a strong draw towards that idea. There is a strong idea that 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 is possibly what God is doing, that God is speaking to his community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because after all, we know, we believe 
that God has always existed in this perfect, whole, eternal community, Trinitarian community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So you could say, our title this morning for the sermon is Consistent Community. You could say that God has always been pretty consistent. God has always consistently lived in and been supported of, supportive of community, even before the creation of man. Isn't that incredible to think about, that God has always existed in this Trinitarian community, that God has always existed in relationship? So being made in God's image, from the get-go, right off the bat, you were created for relationship. You were created to live in community with other people because that's what God does. God has always been relational. It's a part of who he is, and therefore it's a part of who we are to be. One thing that readers notice when reading Genesis, we, we notice the stark contrast between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, right? When you compare the two, the two creation accounts, there's a lot of differences. And, and I believe, and I've kind of been taught to believe, that that, that, was, that seems intentional. It seems intentional that the author would want you to notice the contrast between chapters 1 and 2. Again, not new information, but important for us to, to highlight this morning. Consider for a moment chapter 1, which we just read a, a brief portion of. Consider chapter 1 and kind of refresh your memory of, of all that you read in chapter 1. Spoiler alert, chapter 1 is where you read it was good. Good, 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 good. We can go through the list, but you know. All, the, all that God created, each and everything God created, at the end of it, as he stood back and, and, and observed, he said what? It was good. It was all good. Then we get to chapter 2, right? And, and in chapter 1, let me go back up just a little bit, you see that we get to kind of the highlight of it all. The, the highlight, the, the, the special set apart, the separate thing that, that God separates, the thing that God separates and says, this is very good, it's distinct. When, when God creates Adam, he, he steps back and he says, that's not just good, that is very good. Because we are the grand finale. We are the masterpiece of God's creation. God looks at us and says, that's not just good. It's very good. And that kind of sets us up to realize the stark contrast in chapter 2. And it causes us to pause when we get to Genesis 2.18. Because that's when God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And he, he goes on to say other things, but I want to stop there because on the heels of all that is good, on the heels of all that God has created and, and declared good, he stops it and we notice that something is not good. And that should cause us to pause because now there is something that is declared not good. In fact, the Hebrew word, and I, I might need a little bit of help here later, but the Hebrew word that I saw, I wanted to go look at this word alone because that's what's not good, right? It's not good for man to be alone. This is all very important, by the way. It's not good for man to be alone. And I wanted to just go familiarize myself with that, that Hebrew word alone. And when, I, when, I, when you go and you look at the original language, the Hebrew word for alone, I have a, a picture of what the Hebrew word is. 
And you don't even see the word alone, because when you click on the Hebrew word that we read for alone, it's actually the word bad. And so it's, it seems to be, unless I could stand corrected, but it seems to be that this Hebrew word for alone is synonymous with bad, because to be separated, to be apart, to be by oneself is bad. It's not just not great or ideal. It's bad. It's not what was intended. And I think that this should be alarming for us. And the reason I say that is because for a people, and I'm speaking just in the you know, Western American context, for a people who pride themselves on their ability to be independent, this should cause some alarm. This should cause some pause for people who pride themselves on their ability to be individualistic. We should pause and say, oh, but wait, maybe that's not always good. Are you with me? We were never meant to be alone. In fact, it's declared that it is bad. It's not good. It's not what was intended for us to be alone. We are social beings by nature. We were literally, and I know that we use that word really loosely, especially I'm, I am guilty of using the word literally, even though I don't mean literally. But in moments like this, that's where it's not good, because in moments like this, when I say literally, I mean literally. We were literally created for community and relationship. It's what we were created for. And we're not just talking about the context of, of marriage here, right? We know, yes, Adam and Eve are the first man and wife. They are the first marriage that we see, but that's not just what, we're not just talking about marriage. This is a message for both married people and single people. I'm married. I'm a fan of marriage. But this is not just about marriage. It's about relationships. Scholar Joseph, Joseph Colson says this. He says, The evaluation not good anticipates the divine plan for the Adam to live in community and not in isolation from other creatures or in solitude. Just as God enjoys the fellowship of community within the triune Godhead, God intends humans to live in relational community as an important part of our identity in the image of God. We were created for relationship. We were created for community. Let's look at Jesus. That's what we've been doing each week. We start by looking at the life of Jesus, and we kind of follow his, his leading in this, in each and everything. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus is committed to community and discipleship. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? And so, so we understand that as Jesus is God in the flesh, Jesus didn't really need people to complete him or to fulfill him, right? Jesus didn't need us to fulfill some longing that he had. Jesus already lived in the in perfect Trinitarian community with the Father and the Spirit. And Jesus didn't need us to fulfill him or complete him, but he wanted to be in community with us. 
right? Jesus longed to be in community with others. He spent his life with others. He didn't spend his life secluded away from others, but he consistently pursued relationship with others. Each and every time he looked at an individual and said, follow me, he is essentially saying, let's do life together. Come and follow me, and I'm going to show you what it looks like to walk in the image of God, to walk as God created you, but you're going to do that. We're going to do that together. You're not going to do that alone. We're going to do that together. Every time Jesus called someone to follow him, he called them to be with him, to do life with him, to share life in all of its glory and in all of its pain. He invited people to experience with him each and every day the dull and the mundane, the ordinary, but also the blissful, extraordinary moments. Jesus loved community with his disciples, and he pursued authentic community with his disciples. But this wasn't just surface-level friendships. You should know that this morning. This wasn't just surface-level friendships. This was more than just hanging out. Jesus and the disciples were on mission together. They didn't just have casual conversations around the table, although we do see that, and that does imply an intimacy. That does imply that these are, are closely connected individuals in this culture. That is, that's what that means. To share a meal together means that you are close. You, this is an intimate relationship, but we also see that in the fact that Jesus was on mission with these people, and he calls them to, to carry this on. In Matthew 28, as he's ascending into heaven, he says, I need you to continue this. Go and show others what it looks like to follow me in relationship on mission together. Not on mission alone, but on mission together. And possibly the most important thing we need to understand when we look to the life of Jesus and how he did community and how he navigated relationships is that the heartbeat of community for Jesus was love. It wasn't obligation. He didn't need it. He didn't need any of this to complete him or to fulfill him, but it was from the love that he had in his heart for others that he invited others to do this life with him. Jesus loved and demonstrated love to each and every person he encountered. No one was excluded. No one was outside the bounds of this love. All were welcome into Jesus' community. There were no cliques, no selective groups. I mean, Jesus had, you know, we'll talk about this in a moment, when Jesus had certain people that he spent certain times with, but no one was outside the bounds to be invited into this community. It was open for all and to all. Jesus would intentionally go and look for those who were, who were declared unlovable, and he would invite them into his community. Those who were forgotten, and he would invite them into his community. Jesus goes and intentionally loves the excluded. They were invited into his community. Jesus looks for and loves the abandoned, the unprotected, and the vulnerable. And he invites them into his community. And, and as we look closely at the life of Jesus, we see that this happens in, in various settings, right? We, we kind of start start kind of from the furthest of, from Jesus, and we see that Jesus spent a lot of time with large crowds, 
right? There's several times in the Gospels where Jesus is with hundreds and even a few times thousands of people, probably more often than a few times, where Jesus is teaching crowds of people. He's sharing meals with very large groups of people. He finds a way to have that intimacy even with a large group of people, Right? And so we see that kind of on the, the furthest from the furthest from Jesus. But then Luke chapter 10 tells us about this network of 70 people that Jesus taught and Jesus sent out on mission. He invested in these 70 people for a time and then sent them out on mission. But then the group gets even smaller, doesn't it? We see that Jesus was particularly close with Lazarus and his sisters and their family. And Jesus spent a significant amount of time with them. He had a very special relationship with them. But it gets even smaller, doesn't it? He has the 12 disciples, and these are men that he spends, it seems, each and every day. He spends each and every day with these 12 men, pouring into them, guiding them, loving them, teaching them, showing them what it looks like to be his followers. He, he mentors them and teaches them daily. But then the circle gets even smaller, and, and we see in Jesus' relationship with Peter, James, and John, just this beautiful intimacy. This beautiful intimacy where Jesus takes it above, he moves beyond surface level with Peter, James, and John. Jesus shows Peter, James, and John in the most intimate parts of himself and the most vulnerable moments of his life. Think about the garden for just a moment. Think about the garden and how this was Jesus' most vulnerable moment. He's preparing to take the final steps of his journey toward the cross. And he is just overwhelmed with grief. He doesn't even really know how to compose himself, does he? He's overwhelmed to the point of grief. And he invites Peter, James, and John into this most vulnerable moment. When we look at the life of Jesus, we do not see a disconnected, dispassionate spiritual being that was somehow separated from the rest of the world, do we? We see one who loved people and made community a central part of his life. And in the life of Jesus, we certainly see consistent community. So, as we look at ourselves, as we kind of reflect inward for a moment, if you will, what's the deal? I ask you, what's the deal? Why is it that we don't often see this, what we just looked at with the life of Jesus, and how, how close he was and how vulnerable and open he was with with his people, why don't we see this very often in the life of the church? Why is it, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you can help me see something that I'm missing, but for the most part, this doesn't apply to everybody, that's not a blanket statement, but, but for the most part, I wonder why it tends to be so surface level for us. The, the Kind of the deepest we get is, hey, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Well, you know, it's not been a great week, but I'm doing all right. Oh, good, good. In scene. <laughs> Sometimes that's as deep as it gets for some people, right? And I just wonder, what are we doing wrong? Where, where do we go wrong? And what keeps us from consistent, authentic, real community like we see in the life of Jesus and his, and his people? 
we'll, we'll start by identifying the most obvious sin, right? We live in the aftermath of the fall, and, and we now live in what, what is not the ideal for relationships, right? Adam and Eve, they walked in, in perfect unity and harmony with God. They were in perfect community with God. God longed to be in relationship with them, and they were, and it was perfect. It was whole. It was how it should be. And you and I, unfortunately, live on the other side of that. And so we experience the flawed side of doing life together and relationships. And sin got in the way. And sin causes us to be messy, right? Relationships are messy because we are messy. We're messy people. We come with with baggage and issues and we all deal with our own things. And that makes relationships hard and messy. But that's not even the problem. We can call it what it is. It's a problem. But the problem is when things get hard and when things get a little too messy, we tend to bail, right? When, when a problem comes up or when we're dealing with somebody that we're just like, whoa, I don't know how to deal with that. I don't, I don't know how to respond to this person and their personality or, or what they're, they're going through or I don't know how to deal with this issue that I'm having with this other flawed human being, And so we just bail. And we just live in loneliness. Because sometimes, even though loneliness isn't ideal, it's easier than the messy part of relationships. Right? Yes. Relationships are complicated. And they are messy. Because we are complicated and messy. But there is beauty to be found when you get through those difficult moments in relationships with others, and when you can be real and raw and vulnerable and open and let them in, you can find the beautiful aspect of relationships, of really doing life together, not just pretending, not just always pretending that everything is fine when it's not, but really growing deep and really knowing someone and being known. Because we really want to be known, don't we? We don't, but we do, right? Another reason, another thing that keeps us from living in consistent, real, authentic community is that we live in a very isolated culture, don't we? We live in a very isolated and isolating culture, and it's, it's incredibly difficult to combat. And sure, we can put some of the blame on technology, Technology has us believing that we're super connected with lots of people when really we're more disconnected than ever, right? It, we can put some of the blame on technology, but, but I think it goes even further than that. It's just this, for whatever reason, this desire or this longing to just live life with our head down and just not looking at other people. You see this if you watch your neighbors, or maybe this is you, and no shame if it is. It is, it is what it is. But you see this in your neighborhoods, right? The, the people that, that get home at the end of a long day, and they push the button, their garage door comes up, they drive in, they push the button, it goes down, and you don't see them again. You don't see them again until 8 o'clock tomorrow, the next morning when it's time to go back to work. We, a lot of us live like this, don't we? And that's just how we live our lives. We go into our homes, we, we're separated by our walls and our locked doors, and, and this is just normal, isn't it? This is normal for us. A lot of us don't even know of any other way. And so I'm not chastising us because this is just normal. 
And yet, even though it's normal, it's not good. Do you understand that? It's not the way that it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to live completely isolated and separated from those around us. We've just found ways to isolate and separate. Another thing that keeps us from consistent community is we settle for something less risky than being seen and known. In other words, it's a lot easier to just have surface-level relationships where we just kind of talk about the things that are, you know, not super important, but that makes us feel like we're close with other people, even though we're not. And I like how author Jenny Allen puts it in her, her newest book. She says, we've replaced intrusive, real conversations with small talk. We've substituted soul-bearing, deep, connected living with text messages and a night out together every once in a while because the superficial stuff seems more manageable and less risky. Does that describe anybody else in here sometimes? We believe this lie that wanting more or needing more than surface-level stuff makes us needy. And we don't want to feel needy, right? We don't. The last thing we want is to feel like we are too needy. That, that getting deeper and getting below the surface makes us needy. And we don't want to be needy. We like to be needed, right? How many of you like to be needed? I like to be needed, but I don't want to be needy. I'm not really sure how we got to the place where it's okay to be needed, but, but we resist being needy. Finally, I think another reason that, that what keeps us from consistent community is this, this thing that we do where we look to others to fulfill something that only God can fulfill. See, human relationships, they're great, and they are, uh, they're needed, but they can't fulfill what only God can fill. We have to have each in their proper place, Right? Think about the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything you have. This is first and foremost. It's the most important. Then when you have this right, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we don't have this, if this is lacking, if this is not complete, then none of this is going to fulfill you. And so if, if you feel like you're not, you don't have fulfilling relationships in your life, this is something I have to think about often is, well, maybe, maybe I am not giving enough to this. I'm not nurturing this enough, and so this is lacking because this is not in its proper place. We could go on and on. There, there's probably more things than just these few that keep us from real, authentic, consistent community. But do you want to know what I really think we ought to be aware of this morning is that whatever the reason that, that keeps us separated from people and keeps us from living authentically and in community with people, whatever it is, the enemy is loving it. And I just, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer this morning, but I really want us to consider that if, if we were created for community, if we were created for relationship, if we were created to do life with other people, then in our not living in real, authentic, consistent community, the enemy is loving it. 
He is living his best life when we are living ours separated away from others. When we are lonely, he's happy. That's what he wants. He knows we're better together. So, of course, he's going to do everything he can to keep us separated. I couldn't help but share this quote, too, from Jenny Allen. She says, talking about all the things that we do alone, she says, among others, we live alone, we eat alone, we run our errands alone, and we suffer alone. And she says, I'm sick of it, and you're sick of it. We are sick of it, and we're sick from it. We are sick from it. And I don't know what exactly we have to do. I don't know exactly what you have to do, but it's time to change. Did you know three out of five people will confess to feeling lonely in life? This was a survey that was done in 2020 by by Cigna. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, like, well, of course they were lonely in 2020. Everybody was lonely in 2020. It was January of 2020 that they released this survey. So pre-COVID, before we knew COVID, anyways, before anyone had the opportunity to be lonely because of COVID, people were already feeling lonely. Three out of five. Can you imagine what it is now? I'm sure there's research out there, but I didn't read that this week. That means what? Maybe 60, roughly 60% of the people in this room might might confess to feeling lonely? That's startling. That should be concerning to us. Because if this is what we were created for, then this is something that should be a part of who we are. We should be communal and relational by nature. And friends, the world is looking. Each week, as we've gone throughout this series, we're talking about how each one of these spiritual markers leads us to the world or ask the question, what does What does this offer to the world? How does consistent community lead us to the world? And and what's important about consistent community to the world? And I would remind you of what Jesus says in John 13. We're wrapping it up here in just a minute. In John 13, Jesus says in verse 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, I didn't read this from a scholar or anything. I didn't have this confirmed this week. But I'm just going to guess that when Jesus says this to love one another as I have loved you, he doesn't just mean be kind to one another. He doesn't just mean smile at people and, and just, you know, be nice to them and do nice things occasionally for them. Based on how Jesus lived and how Jesus loved, I'm guessing that he means by loving one another, he means show up for one another, be there for one another, do life with one another, be committed to one another. Do you know that you and I are supposed to be committed to one another? Be be close with one another, get below the surface, get deep with one another, walk arm in arm with one another, even when it's hard, even when it's messy, even when you don't want to show up, even when you don't want to let other people in. 
This is how the world will know that you are mine because they will be lonely. They're going to experience loneliness, but they're going to look at the church and they're going to say, ah, look what they have. I want what they have, but I'm afraid that that's not always what happens. I'm afraid that sometimes the world looks at the church and they're like, well, they're just as lonely as I am, maybe lonelier. At least I have my friends at the bar, you know, where everyone knows my name. I'm old enough to know what Cheers is. I want to be where everyone knows my name too. And the, the truth is the world probably has this community thing. Lost people, believe, unbelievers probably have this figured out better than we do because sometimes I think they look at us and they're like, okay, they're, soup, they're just as lonely if not lonelier than I am. That's not appealing. That's not going to draw them in, but they will know that we, are, that we belong to Jesus because we are communal and relational by nature and we show this in how we live and love one another. Is this the case for the church? Are people, the church, not just this church, but the church, are people drawn to the church because of our amazing ability to do life with one another? Or do they look at us and think, what's the point? They don't have it figured out. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back and, and as we just prepare for a time of response, I want to share with you and remind you this morning that, that each and every one of us has this longing within us. That community is the longing of every human heart. Every human, every person lives with this deep longing to belong. With a deep longing to be known. With a deep longing to be loved to be accepted by others. And, and those that are not walking with Jesus, those who are not yet in a relationship with Jesus, and, and those who don't have the benefits of, of the church, of an authentic faith community, they long for more. Even if they're not willing to admit it, they long for something more. The question is, do they realize that when they look at us. See, Jesus calls us to live in consistent community. And we are called to invite people to join us. And I don't really know what the next step looks like for you. And, and when I come back up here in just a moment, we'll talk about maybe what some of those next steps are for you. But for a moment, I just want to invite you to, to bow your head and to close your eyes and Don't show like a raise of hands or anything. You don't have to respond anywhere except for in your heart. But I just want to ask you this morning, are you lonely? Are you one of the three out of five that would say, yeah, I'm lonely? I don't really feel like I have anyone. And the relationships I do have, now that I think about it, yeah, they're pretty surface level. We don't really talk about the real important things. So yeah, I, I guess I am pretty lonely.
just be honest this morning and, and just say in your heart, is that you? And then I want you to acknowledge that, that if that's you this morning, that you are not alone. That according to recent surveys, there's someone in your row right now that also feels lonely. And this is not what we were created for. We were not created to walk through this life alone, feeling like we don't really have anyone at the end of the day. And so, God, we invite you into this moment. God, as we acknowledge that that we may have surface-level relationships with believers that for the most part, not everyone, but for the most part, God, we are not living in this real, raw, authentic, consistent community that you have created us for. And God, the, the tragedy is, is that because of our cultural context, we believe that it's okay, that it's normal. And yet... <laughs> Mental health issues are on the rise. There must be a connection, God. God, we are lonely. But you have given us the beauty of one another, the gift of one another. And God, we just acknowledge this morning that it's going to be, it's really challenging to reach out and say to somebody, I need you. It's easy to say, oh, I'm here for you, but it's very difficult for us to say, I need you. So God, we just invite you to speak into our hearts in this moment. And God, just help us to see what is available to us. God, help us as a people, as the church, help us to be this life-giving community that the world so desperately needs. God, help us to tear down our walls. God, help us to be open and, and willing and vulnerable God, would you just remind us this morning of how much you love us and that in your great love for us, you gave us the gift of one another. You gave us yourself and you gave us one another. So Lord, we just ask you to to speak to us. And we love you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. one of a few worship songs that's written from a plural place so it's called Jesus we love you as we sing this song together we're singing it together we're not singing about I we're singing about we so I love that we can have this moment together there are people here who are lonely there are people here who feel very connected but all of us are connected through our worship right now and as we 
sing, just hear those words and recognize that we're not alone. We're singing these words together.
seated. So I don't know what the next step looks like for you, but my prayer is that if you were one who inwardly said, yes, I'm lonely, I don't feel like I'm living into this the way that I'm created to live into this. I don't feel like this is really descriptive of how I live in relationship with others. Then first I just ask you to ask the Lord what the next step looks like for you. Maybe it's just inviting someone over for a meal or just being vulnerable and open enough to say, hey, can I come over to your house and have a meal? That'll really get the, get the door open and get it going, right? Do it. You can invite yourself to my house. Maybe it's, it's just sharing a meal with someone or just connecting with someone one-on-one. But, but my, my desire is that the church would be filled with opportunities for us to nurture this consistent community. And, and I think there are many ways that you can nurture this community in this local church. There's probably more that we could be doing And I'm totally open to hearing what it is that you think we could do better in order to foster this community that we're talking about. I'm totally open to that. If there's something that that you're missing that you think we could do, then just let me know and we'll talk about what that looks like. And you already know that, that I'll probably encourage you to join a small group. And I think that that can be a great step, that joining a small group is a great way to start fostering this this relationship, this community with other people. But I know that's not for everyone. I don't think that's like the one solution that everyone needs to do right now because that's the reality is that may not be for everyone. We do have small groups, though. And so if, if that's something that would help you to foster community with other people, then I would like to, to encourage you to join one. Another way we can, can foster this community is to serve together. And if that's just grabbing some people and, and, and kind of blessing, you know, some, some uh, like an organization in the community or, or picking up trash together or, or feeding, uh, you know, delivering food to a food pantry together or something, you can do that with your small group. You can do that with a Sunday school class with other people. But serving together helps us to grow closer in community with one another. We've talked a lot about discipleship relationships. This is... This is a relationship in which you are, are looking together at what it looks like to be a committed follower of Jesus, and it's a relationship where you can be open and accountable to somebody, and that can really nurture um, authentic, consistent community. Schedule dinner with other couples, right? Grab a few other couples. They don't have to be your age. They can be your age, but, but grab dinner with a few other couples and just really talk about the real things of life and, and make it a challenge not to just stick on the surface level stuff, but, but make it a challenge to just grow deeper in relationship with, with those people. There's things that we offer for men, like men's breakfast that was held yesterday morning um, at the church. That's monthly. That's a great thing for men. And then ladies, we got to step it up a little bit. Like we, we've done things in the past, and I know COVID affects all of this, but, but ladies, we, we're looking for opportunities, things we can do to kind of invite ladies together to, to continue to nurture this. There's Sunday school. There's a lot of things that we're already doing that you can plug into, but you just have to do it. You just have to do it. And if there's something else that we're missing that you think we could have that could help with this, then just let me know. My door is open. But my prayer for you is that you don't continue walking through life alone. So your challenge this week 
is to be real and authentic with someone in your life and, and just take that next step, whatever that looks like, okay? All right, let me share a few announcements with you before we leave this morning. I say a few, but that's kind of a fib because there's a lot. (laughs) It's more than just a few this morning. Um, It is February, and it is Alabaster Month, so we've got the Alabaster Box in the foyer. If you have been collecting for that over the past several months, then you can drop that off in the foyer. Um, We are still handing out or or selling, I guess, uh, these 40 days Lenten devotion books. These are $6 if you want to purchase one. We're going to be doing that through the season of Lent. And today you can see Kathy if you're wanting to get one of those. Kathy Dothager will have those. Um, The office is going to be closed tomorrow on Monday for President's Day, just a heads up there. Lunch Bunch, hey, there's another great time to foster community and connection and relationship with others at the the Lunch Bunch. This is not for everyone because not everybody's available in the middle of a weekday, Uh, but but that is there. So that's going to be Wednesday, February 23rd at Eckert's this month. Uh, There's going to be a bake sale next Sunday, February 27th, in the foyer um, during the morning service. And and just a reminder that all the proceeds from those bake sales that Tina so graciously um, heads up and leads those and and bakes all the goodies or recruits people to bake, all the proceeds from that go to support um, our benevolence fund. So 100% of what's made from that uh, goes back into that fund. Um, We will have an Ash Wednesday service here at the church. Um, That is March 2nd. That's next Wednesday, right around the corner. Not this week, but the following week. That's going to be 6.30 um, here in the sanctuary. Um, Don't forget those of you who are on the worship team. Next Sunday, we're going to have a meeting in the sanctuary directly after the morning service. Um, Snacks and drinks are going to be provided for you all that are going to be able to stick around. And even if you're just interested in joining or you're just wanting to find out more, then you are welcome to attend as well. And last but not least, just go ahead and mark your calendars. Uh, Thursday, March 24th, will be our Restore Network uh, virtual watch party. And we're looking to step that up this year with a meal. We'd like to share a meal together as we gather to to kind of reflect and look at what Restore has done over the past year. Um, but either way, you are invited. So go ahead and mark your calendars for that Thursday, March 24th. And we're going to ask that you RSVP by March 20th. Okay, that was a lot. Pick up a bulletin, log on to bfcn.org if you need a refresh on that. And um, with that this morning, I'm going to invite you all to stand. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is my desire that you would know how deeply loved each and every one of you is. I I pray that you would know that you are seen and loved. I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior and that you would draw near to one another this week. Draw near to the Lord. Draw near to one another. You are dismissed. Have a great day.